We look forward to seeing you at Two Days of Truth being presented by Beyond Labels. It's our fourth annual Two Days of Truth Summit. This year's theme is Detox is for Everybody. We're bombarded by everything from chemtrails to EMFs to pesticides, herbicides, even uh, toxic people. We're going to deal with all of these aspects at the Two Days of Truth Summit coming up. Sina, give us the final information. I'm really excited about this summit. I think this is going to be our best one yet. It's June 14th and 15th at Polyface Farm. We have some fantastic speakers like Sayer G, the founder of Green Med Info, uh, Dr. Leland Stillman, who's been featured by Wise Traditions lately, Hilda Labrada-Gore, affectionately known as Holistic Hilda, you and me, of course, we also have, for the first time ever, a kids and teens program. So now the adults can enjoy the adult side while they know that their kids and their teens are having fun while also being educated by Joel, myself, and Hilda. It's going to be a blast. And this year, what we're going to do is we're going to actually teach you ancient and modern techniques for how to detoxify the body, mind, and spirit. And we're going to help you put together a personalized plan like an action plan that you can take home and start. As soon as you arrive home, you can implement this action plan and start your detoxing. You know, listen, folks, Polyface is only eight hours from half of the U.S. population. Take a long weekend, come join us, and uh, you'll rub shoulders with other like-minded people, find our tribe, and be encouraged. It's a lonely place out there lots of times, especially if you're a bit of a maverick. So come and spend time with other mavericks and get encouraged, inspired, and enthused about living a more healthy life. So I love the topic for this year, detoxification. It is one of the most important topics that we could ever address at our health summit. Because as Joel mentioned, everyone, every single person needs to know how to detoxify their body, mind, and spirit in order to achieve optimal health and wellness. An example of that would be the calories, right? How do we even come up with a calorie content and that stemmed from a bomb calorimeter, which is an actual machine. And they would put the food in this bomb calorimeter, like a piece of broccoli, and they would burn it. And they would calculate calories based on the amount of heat that was given off. Well, then, you know, and then there's assumptions that are made in that equation as well. So this is a machine that's, that's burned something into ash, gave off a certain amount of heat, and then we, um take that unit of energy and we make assumptions based on like fiber content and things like that to come up with some caloric number for that piece of broccoli all right well there's many problems in that one is that we are not machines we don't burn our food in our body to ash hello everybody and welcome to another episode of beyond labels podcast with uh, yours truly, Joel Salatin, the farmer, and our favorite researcher, Dr. Sina McCullough. We're on a bit of a history kick, it seems like. Uh, we've just done kind of the history of how we got where we are with chemical agriculture. And today we're going to look at the history of the dietary guidelines. Now, those of you who came to the Beyond Label Summit may remember that Sina um, talked about their the, the guidelines impact today on um, on food decisions not only personally but corporately and 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 industrially uh, institutionally on on food decisions and so she uh we're just she's just going to touch on that very very briefly but she didn't go into the history of the guidelines 
And I think that we um, we were very um, gracious to the founders of the chemical agriculture revolution when it started in the early 1800s, um, thinking that they were sincere and sincerely minded, really trying to, to find solutions. Uh, that is not quite as much the case here with the dietary guidelines. And and so um, so I'm just uh, giving you a little bit of heads up where we're headed. But the history of the guidelines, where how we got to where we are with them, is going to be the topic of today's bod- podcast. Love this this history. It's important to understand history because history is prologue. If we don't get our history right, we don't understand where we are in time. And so, Cena, uh, bring us up to where we need to start with the dietary guidelines. Awesome. Okay, I'd love to, Joel. So you're going to see hopefully a pattern that's emerging in our food supply and our nutrition world and the medical system. And today's topic of dietary guidelines fits perfectly into that pattern. So we have these dietary guidelines and these tell all Americans what to eat and drink, quote, to meet nutrient needs, promote health and help prevent chronic disease. So that's the USDA statement of why all Americans should follow these dietary guidelines. It used to be all Americans over the age of two. Recently, they have expanded the grasp, and now it's all Americans, including including infants. This is the most influential document in the history of diet and disease. It does dictate all federal food and health policies. So that would be school breakfast, school lunch programs, SNAP program, what's fed to the military, what's fed to elderly, what you're going to get if you're in the hospital. It birthed the food guide pyramid, which turned into my plate. Um, It contributed to the low fat craze. I'm sure we all remember the low fat craves, right? Have you ever eaten a low fat food like a a low fat muffin or a cookie or a low fat yogurt or Joel, have you eaten one? <laughs> a low fat food? I would be shocked if you have uh, intentionally. No, I, I, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not into the low fat stuff. Yes, yeah, so many of us, including myself, did. Right, right. We trusted that the low fat was healthier, and we complied. Right. Another example of if these dietary guidelines affected you are. Um, is do you feel bad or did you ever feel bad when you chose a cheeseburger over fish or chicken? Or Mm. do you you ever think you needed to remove the skin of the chicken before you ate it? Or if you've ever thought that saturated fat caused heart disease or that red meat would increase your cholesterol. All of these beliefs stem from these government dietary guidelines. And now foodies and food activists like ourselves, we actually like to think that we're not affected by these guidelines anymore, but I would gather that we are to a certain extent. So for instance, um, all processed foods contain a government approved label. Okay. And on that label is the nutrition facts panel. And I'm sure all of us could probably tell you items that are listed on this nutrition facts panel, right? Joel, what's on the panel? Uh, Calorie, protein, um, fat. Good. Yep. Calories, protein, saturated fat, trans fats, total fats, cholesterol, sodium, carbs, different types of carbs like fiber. 
And then there is on the bottom, there's some micronutrients are listed there, vitamin D, calcium, iron, potassium, vitamin E, and niacin, right? These, we know this label. This label is ingrained in most all of us and it's, it's actually taught in school. These are the components listed on this label. These are the components of food that most of us focus on even now, like even foodies and activists. So has somebody ever counted calories or chosen a food based on calories? That comes from this label, which is from the dietary guidelines. Have you ever counted fat grams or looked at the amount of saturated fat? Or maybe you've moved beyond the calories and the fat, but this label affects you in other ways. So has anybody ever gone on a diet? There's most of our modern diets are actually focused on the macronutrients, the amount of protein, fat, and carbs that you should eat. There's the low-fat diet, Atkins diet, zone diet, specific carbohydrate diet, keto diet, Pritikin diet, right? I can go on and on like all day, but why are they focused on the macronutrient contents? It, it's this label, right? Why aren't they focused on other things like the phytonutrient content or the content of structured water, right? Because it's not actually on this label. We focus on what is on this label. In other words, we focus on what we've been brainwashed to focus on by the dietary guidelines. We've been trained to think that the nutrients on this label are the most important components of food. And so we intently focus on those even when we're choosing our own foods on a day-to-day -day basis. This guideline is designed to teach you how to think and view food. And it is actually based on reductionist thinking, right? We break down the foods into these tiny components, and then we choose our food based on this limited perception. But if you just ask yourself a few questions, you'll realize that we're kind of enslaved by this label, and it doesn't always bring you down the path to health. So for instance, are the nutrients that are labeled on this food, are these all the nutrients in a food? Well, clearly no. Are these categories the most important components of food? So for instance, is the amount of protein more important than the level of phytonutrients, right? You can argue that it's not. Um, are they even the most important components that we know of in a food? I would say no, but these dietary guidelines affect all of us. And what's unfortunate about that is that they were actually born from lies. Right? They were built on data that was cherry-picked and manipulated just to push an agenda of a heart-healthy, low-fat diet. Now, the low-fat theory has been disproven. The food guide pyramid has been disproven, but we still have the dietary guidelines largely because they're funded by big ag, big food, big pharma, and they're pushed by trusted organizations like the American Heart Association. Okay, but... What I want to do is dive into how did we actually get to this place where all of us, in one way or another, are affected by this label that was actually built from a, a place of of lies and deception. Uh, Joel, well, did you want to jump in first? Yeah, I, I did. I, I wanted. I wanted to just uh, uh, get your take on so so all this all this um, whatever compartmentalization of food. In, in our in our minds in our minds it sees it sees us or it sees food as a bunch of components a bunch of segregated uh, uh 
pieces like like assembling an automobile you know you need a you, you need an exhaust pipe you need an engine you need you know spark plugs and, and it sees it sees food our our sustenance as being uh fundamentally mechanical if you will uh parts oriented as opposed to um as opposed to i don't know what uh, uh holistic or 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 or, ha or having or having a life uh wrapped up in itself and not just a bunch of pieces on a table i'm not you know it, it it's it's like it's like if you took my heart and liver and lungs out, put them on the table, you don't know me. You don't have me. And, and, and that's kind of what we've done with our food. We don't know, we don't know our food philosophically, kind of spiritually, mentally, when it's, when it's all laid out there on the table in pieces. Yes. So an, an example of that would be the calories, right? How do we even come up with a calorie content and that stemmed from a bomb calorimeter, which is an actual machine. And they would put the food in this bomb calorimeter, like a piece of broccoli, and they would burn it. And they would calculate calories based on the amount of heat that was given off. Well, then, you know, and then there's assumptions that are made in that equation as well. So this is a machine that's, that's burned something into ash, gave off a certain amount of heat, and then we um take that unit of energy and we make assumptions based on like fiber content and things like that to come up with some caloric number for that piece of broccoli all right well there's many problems in that one is that we are not machines we don't burn our food in our body to ash right you're not pooping ash like here we are again talking <laughs> about poop on our show right <laughs> So that, I mean, that's obvious, right? You don't poop out ash. So we don't actually break these things down like a machine, right? Mm -hmm. um, we don't burn it like you would in a fire, right? And we have all these enzymes and, um, you know, acid that we use and things like that. Our whole decomposition um, process is different. The assimilation is different. Metabolism is different, but we are making these assumptions that we are like a machine. So a calorie isn't even a real thing. It's not even a real, um, when you're talking about, when you're talking about applying it to the human body, it's not even a real thing because it's based on a machine breaking it down and then subsequent assumptions that man has built into a calculation to get a calorie. So it's not even real, but a lot mm. of us count calories, right? And you know, this is to be true because if you uh, instinctively, because if you had a hundred calories of broccoli versus a hundred calories of Coke, we as scientists based on this label consider both of those carbohydrates, but they're not going to be considered the same by your body, right? They're going to mm -hmm. have totally different responses in your body. So mm -hmm. there's the flaw right there. Just think of it using your intellect, right? That's common sense that it's not going to be the same in the body. So calories don't even matter on this label. They're not real in application to the human body. So yes, that's just that's just one example of another assumption that's built into this label, but we buy into it, right? Yeah. Um, and we could go on and on about that, but um, I want to dive into the history of it um, mm -hmm. because this will bring forth um, another pattern that we are seeing in the food and nutrition sector then it, and it continues it's it's alive and well today 
All right. So on this program, we already talked about in 1906 that we handed our responsibility over ensuring the safety of our food to the federal government. And we did that out of fear. Right. We talked about how this piggybacked on Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, and it led to ultimately the creation of the FDA. And that was out of fear. All right. Well, in 1952, we again acted out of fear. We handed over the responsibility of deciding what to eat to the federal government. So when that happened, the government started to change the way we actually think about food, and it was through these dietary guidelines. And it all started actually with one man. This one man changed our entire course of history in terms of nutrition, disease, and our medical system. He changed the way we all think about food. And in doing so, he changed the way that all of us eat, and we've gotten sicker because of it. His name was Ansel Keys. So Ansel Keys created a hypothesis that fat caused heart disease. And then in the 1950s, heart attacks seemed to just suddenly appear overnight. They were still rare, but they just kind of suddenly started to appear. And so people became afraid. They didn't know why this was happening. So in 1952, Keys stood in front of an audience with a graph And this graph showed that the more fat you eat, the higher your chance of heart disease and subsequent heart attack. So his message was eat less fat if you want to avoid heart disease and heart attack. And that graph shaped our entire food system still to this day. Now, by the mid-1950s, Keyes no longer blamed total fat. He started to isolate saturated fat. And then in 1955, his dream came true when President Eisenhower suffered a heart attack. So um, Eisenhower's medical doctor was friends with Ansel Keys, right? Who of course was blaming saturated fat for Eisenhower's heart attack. So one day after the president's heart attack, his medical doctor, who as you know, is considered the top doctor in the nation, right? So his, the nation's top doctor, stood in front of America during a press conference, and he told all Americans that to avoid a heart attack, you need to eat less saturated fat. That prompted the American Heart Association, the AHA, to form a committee to develop diet advice in order for all Americans to avoid a heart attack. So that committee, they analyzed the available data and they released a report which actually concluded there wasn't enough evidence to make a dietary recommendation, all right? Because this was a big deal. Up to this point, there were no dietary recommendations, not by the government and not by organizations. So this would have been a historic moment. And the American Heart Association said, no, there's not enough data. We're not going to actually put a guideline out there. Now, just a handful of years later, the American Heart Association released a second report and that report said to avoid heart a heart attack, you must eat less saturated fat. This was a huge deal. As I said, this was the first official dietary statement ever made by a nationally recognized organization, right? The government guidelines had not been established at this point. The American Heart Association guideline was the first. And these American Heart Association guidelines became the first um, the first and the and the gold standard for dietary advice around the whole world. And many of us probably remember like the heart healthy label, 
right? You see it on um, cereal boxes and it was like this little red heart. And remember like cocoa puffs were heart healthy, right? That should, that should have been a red flag to everybody that cocoa puffs were deemed heart healthy by the American Heart Association. Well, think, think, think of how many, how many households, think about anybody here of the, of the 1960s and 70s, how many households had Crisco in them? I mean, every single household and, and, and this war on, on butter, butter and lard um, was, you know, was devastating, not only in the dairy industry, but also, um, you know, just in the, in the health, but boy, yeah, that yeah, Crisco hydrogenated vegetable oil. I mean, that's where all that really uh, came into the, the, the household by the truckload. Thank you for joining us on Beyond Labels. Our mission with this podcast is to make it accessible to everyone. But we are behind a paywall because the issues we discuss are often subject to censorship. We've run into that, and so we have an extremely modest paywall to let us have the freedom to discuss the kind of issues we want to discuss in the way we want to discuss them. And you can become a member and enjoy all this content by clicking on the description box below. We look forward to having you join our family.